Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, here we go. Today is, guess what day today is? Baptism Sunday. Hey, let's give a big round of applause. For everyone who is getting baptized, today is a great day. So go ahead, everybody, pull out your phone, go to the Facebook, click share so we can help as many people experience life change through Jesus as possible. Everybody's watching online, click that share button right now so we can help others experience life change through Jesus. That's what we're all about here as a church, and we're continuing our sermon series called We are redemption, where we're looking at how we experience life change through Jesus here as a church. And if you were here for week one, the big subject that we covered is what is a church? And here's what we discovered that a church is. A church isn't a building. A church isn't an event. A church is not a business institution, organization. A church is God's people gathered together for God's purposes, that we don't just go to church. No, we are the church. That church is not an activity. It is an identity. It's not just what we do. It is who we are because together we are the church. The next week we discussed discipleship and it's how we follow Jesus. And it's two things. It's knowing who Jesus is and it's doing the things that Jesus did because we say that life change is a lifestyle. That's what discipleship is. It's following after Jesus. Then we got real down and nerdy and we talked about sound doctrine. And here's what sound doctrine is. It is the application of scripture to all of our lives. So we don't want to just hear the word, but we want to do the word. Doctrine is not facts. Doctrine is faith. Doctrine isn't just information about God. It's intimacy with him. And so we want to be a church that practices sound doctrine. Next week, go ahead and mark it in your calendars. It's going to be your favorite sermon in all of the We Are Redemption series because we're going to be talking about money. That's right, money. Come back next week and we're going to teach you how you can invest in the kingdom of God and you can make a difference in other people's lives. But today, today we're going to talk about church membership. Now, as soon as I say church membership, you all got really quiet. And you're like, membership? Does that mean that I actually have to commit to something? Okay, your girlfriend sitting next to you is like, yes, you do got to commit to something. Yeah, because anything that is worth it in your life takes commitment. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about church membership. And I know that it's not a popular theme to discuss, but it's very important in the Bible. Some people say, well, I don't believe church membership is biblical. Well, that's funny because I was reading the Bible and in 1 Corinthians 12, it says that we are a body with many what? Oh man, you guys agree with me then. So you know that church membership is actually very important. But we live in a day and age to where people, everyone thinks that they're an individual. Everyone thinks that they're autonomous, their own being, that they're the masters of their own destiny and they don't need anybody to tell them what to do because they have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's just them, it's Jesus, and it's K-Love on the radio and they don't need anybody else because they got everything 
that they need, and they don't need to be a part or a member of a local church. But actually, that's just not true. And COVID-19 actually revealed this to you. I know that it did, because when COVID-19 first happened, everybody was like, this is amazing. I don't have to go to work, right? I don't have to do anything. I can sit on my couch and save the world at the same time. This is incredible. And all the introverts were like, I was made for this. This is the reason that I was born. I was made for this. Introverts unite alone in your own apartments. And you played so many video games that your thumbs fell off. And then eventually, after about two or three weeks, maybe a month for those super introverts, you realized that you're more depressed, more anxious, more isolated, and more lonely than you'd ever been. And you discovered what the Bible always said, that it's not good for man to be what? alone because we need one another. And that's the whole goal of this sermon series. The goal of this series is to get everybody back on board, back on mission and on the same page so we can all begin to experience life change through Jesus together. We want for you to be invested in the local church. We want you to find purpose in the local church, to discover your gifts, to discover your place, to discover the reason and meaning that God has for your life and for you to commit and become a member of a local church. Now listen, I love redemption. And I, they don't just pay me to say that. I really do love this church, right? I wouldn't say that if I wasn't the pastor. I would still go to this church because that's how much I love this church. And I would love for you to become a member with us here at Redemption. But I know that not everybody's going to be picking up what we're putting down. I get it. I understand it. But after today, would you please do me a favor? Would you find a local church that you could commit to and you could become a member of that local church? Now, I'm praying that it's redemption. And I don't believe that you're here by accident. So I want to help you be able to become a member of the church. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about the importance of church membership. But more specifically, we're going to be talking about what we mean and what it means for you to become a member here at Redemption. And so because I believe it's important for us to define our terms so where we can all be speaking the same language, go ahead, pull out your sermon notes and the first blanks that are in your sermon notes, which you to fill this out. Here's my working definition of church membership. You ready? Church membership is a community that is committed to the Great Commission. We want to be a community as a church that is committed to the great commission. Not the great suggestion, not the great omission, but we want to be a community that is committed to the great commission. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 16. We're going to study something that is known as the great commission. How many of you were raised Baptist? Okay, you should have this memorized. All my Baptist people, you should have this memorized. You probably got like a patch on your Awana's vest for memorizing this. I grew up in the Assemblies of God. We had Royal Rangers. We didn't have patches. We had pins. And I got a pen because I could quote the Great Commission. If I grew up in a church that they didn't tell me tattoos were a sin, I probably would have got the Great Commission tattooed on me. That's how important the Great Commission is. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, and we're going to study the Great Commission. What I want you to see is this. Everything that we do as a church here at Redemption is based out of and born from the Great Commission. Today, we're going to talk about four things. I want to share with you our vision as a church. We're going to talk about our values that we have 
as a church. We're going to talk about our mission, what we want to accomplish. And then lastly, we're going to give you some next steps, some easy ways that you can help accomplish the Great Commission too, because that's what a church is. A church is a community. That's what we want to be in membership, a community that is committed to the Great Commission. So let's go ahead and read the Bible. So you guys excited to read the Bible today? Didn't matter because I was still going to read it. Here we go. Matthew 8, 28, 16. Now the 11, the disciples, they went out to Galilee to the mountain in which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some they doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. We're going to do that today. Woohoo! Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. These are the last words that Jesus ever said to his disciples. How many of you know last words are important? Last words are very important. You typically save the best for last. You talk about the most important things as the last things. Last words are very important. I remember several years ago, whenever my great-grandfather passed away, we went to go visit him in the hospital. And as we're sitting there by his hospital bed, here's what he talked about. He talked about how much he loved the Lord and how much he loved his family. He didn't have time for trivial, mundane things because At the end of your life, what matters most is what you want to talk about. And this is the very end of Jesus' life. These are the last words that he says to his nearest, dearest, and best friends. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. These are the last words of Jesus. Now, I want you to understand something. That here at Redemption, we believe that Jesus is God. We believe that Jesus is the second member of the Trinity. He is very God of very God, and he humbly entered into this world on a rescue mission, and that he comes to seek and to save the lost, and that Jesus, as he was alive, he never sinned. He lived the perfect life, the life that none of us could live, and he substituted himself in our place for our sins. He died that painful death, the death that we deserve, and he was innocent through it all, that through his ministry, He loved, he helped, he served, he ministered to others. He welcomed the unwelcomed. He loved the unlovable. He forgave the unforgivable. He served everyone that he came. He preached, he taught, he healed, he performed miracles, hung out with prostitutes and tax collectors. And through all of this, he was arrested. He was falsely tried. He was crucified, hung on a Roman cross. And then he was taken down from that cross and he was buried in a grave. And then three days later, Jesus resurrected from the grave. And as he rose from the grave, he conquered. Satan, sin, hell, death, and the grave. And he overcame the wrath of God in our place. And then he ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he rules and he reigns with all authority. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. This is our Jesus. And right before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, where he intercedes on our behalf, here's what Jesus says. Go make disciples. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And who does he say that to? 11 men. 11 men on the side of a Galilean mountain. 11 men. This is the very beginning of the church. 
This is where Christianity started. This is the very beginning of a church. It started with 11 men on a mountainside in Galilee. And today, the local church is 3.5 billion people all across the planet. In 2,000 years, the church has grown, survived, thrived, and flourished, and reached in more people, and transformed and changed more lives than anything else in the world. There is nothing like the church. There never has been anything like the church. There is never going to be anything else like the church. The church is the biggest thing that's on the planet, right? The church is bigger than McDonald's. Everywhere Coca-Cola's been, the church beat them there. The church is bigger than Amazon. The church is bigger than Target or Walmart or anything that you can imagine. There is nothing that's like the church. On every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every continent, every socioeconomic background that you can imagine, every race, every skin color, every gender, there are people just like you and me whose lives have been transformed and changed by the local church. And it grows 2,000 years ago, 11 men. By that time, kings and queens have come and gone and the church of Jesus remains. That nations and empires have risen and fallen and fought wars and been defeated and are dead and gone. But the church of Jesus Christ remains. That philosophies and ideologies have come in and have come out, but the church of Jesus Christ is still here. Facts and trends and opinions have come and they have gone, but the church of Jesus Christ still remains. The church is still growing, thriving, multiplying because that's what the church does. And whatever you are reading, whatever your college professor told you, or whatever YouTube video you're watching at two o'clock in the morning, I can guarantee you in 2,000 years, no one cares, but the church will still be here. Why? Because this is the church that Jesus builds. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says this, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When you turn on the news, you know what you see? The gates of hell that are trying to advance towards the church, to try to shut down the church, to try to keep the church quiet, to try to keep Christians muzzled, to try to stop us from sharing our faith, to keep us from growing. And you know what? They will not prevail because we are the church. This is the church that Jesus built because Jesus loves his church, because Jesus serves his church, because Jesus gives to his church, because Jesus lays down his life for the church. Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to empower the church. Jesus gives the word to guide the church and Jesus is praying for the church. Jesus is the shepherd over the church. He is the one who plants the church and one day Jesus is coming back for him church. And so if Jesus is that committed to the church, shouldn't we be committed to it too? I don't understand the day and age where we live, where we have such casual Christians who lack commitment to the commission of God. If Jesus is this committed to the church, then shouldn't we as Christians, recipient of his grace and benefactors of the body be committed to it as well? And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at this great commission because these 11 men, they were the first members of the first church. They committed. You wouldn't be here if they wouldn't make a commitment. You wouldn't be here today if they were like, mm, it's my day off. I don't feel like doing the great commission thing today. 
Oh, you know, gotta mow the yard before the storm comes. Sorry, Jesus, not gonna obey you in that great commission thing today. Could you imagine what would happen if the first disciples were as committed as some of us? None of us would be here today because it's not a great suggestion. Maybe you feel like it, maybe you don't. We'll get around to it whenever you feel like it. Jesus in heaven waiting on you. That's not what this is. This isn't the great suggestion. This isn't the great omission. You don't get to omit your part or role in this because if you are a Christian, you have a part to play. This is the great commission that God has invited all of us into his plan for the world through the great commission. And so we want you to get committed. Now, some of you right now, you're listening to this and you're like, okay, that's a little convicting, I agree. But you're like, I'm not ready to make this kind of commitment. Maybe, maybe you're here and you're just a first-time guest and you're visiting and you're like, Pastor Byron, I just showed up for the first time, right? You're already asking me to make a commitment. Okay, this is like when a guy meets a girl in college and asks to marry them on the first date. You're like, that's awkward. I'm not doing that. No, too, too fast. Too, okay, slow, slow down. Okay, I get it. I understand. And some of you, you're here and you've been following Jesus for a while. You've been walking with the Lord. You've been serving the Lord. Yeah, but you have not yet made a commitment to the church. And I want you to make that commitment today. Others of you, you're you're not even a Christian yet. You were invited because somebody you know and love is getting baptized and they guilted you into coming. Welcome, we love you. Shame is a great motivator, isn't it? (laughs) And you're not yet there, but I want to encourage you with something. Even in the Great Commission, there is room for you. Even in the Great Commission, there is, there is room for you. Actually, here's what it says. If you have your Bibles, take a look at this in Matthew 28, 17. It says, and when they saw him, that's being Jesus, it says some worshiped him. Some of y'all, y'all worshiping Jesus. You're fired up. You're excited. You're going to jump in that baptism water, and you're going to get dunked and baptized, and you're going to celebrate. Raise your hands. Some of you, you worship the Lord. You got both hands raised up high. You're singing. You're worshiping God. Praise the Lord for you. But some of you, you're not there yet. You're seekers, you're skeptics, you're on that line of faith. You're not really sure if you can cross that line. You're like these people right here. It says some worshiped and then what? It says some doubted. This is why we want to put an ownership and commitment into the Christians. It's because every single week God is sending people who doubt here to our church. And it's our job to serve them. See, we want to create a space to where people who believe in God belong to the church. But we also want to create a space to where people who don't believe can still find a place to belong. Because here's the truth, is that the local church is the only place that exists for people who are not yet its members. Did y'all get that? Let me say that again. The local church is the only place that exists for people who are not yet its members. The other day I was on an airplane, and as I was walking past first class, I said, oh, can I sit there? They said, no. I said, why not? I said, because you're not a member. And I was like, rude much? (laughs) Whenever I went to Sam's Club, I forgot my card. And they wouldn't let me in. They wouldn't let me buy anything because I didn't have my card because they didn't think I was a a member. Everywhere in the world you go, if you want rights and privileges and access, then you have to be a member. And if you're not a member, you're not welcome. Well, that's not the way the church works because the church is the only place that exists for people who are not yet its members. And if you're here today and we're talking about membership and one of the things members do is they give. 
I don't want you to give if you're not a member. If you're not a Christian, this is a place for you. We're here to give to you. We're here to serve to you, right? We have people in our church that tithe 10% of their income every single week so that way you can have an opportunity to hear and to respond to the grace of God for your life, to where you can experience the hope and mercy that only Jesus has for you. If you're not a Christian and you come in, we're not gonna hand you a mop and broom and ask you to squeeze you the floor after baptisms. No, we have a team that does that. They show up at seven o'clock in the morning and they serve every single Sunday. We have others who come in the middle of the week and they clean and they sanitize so that way this building can be safe for people to come and gather during COVID-19. We have a whole team that does that. If you're not a Christian, we don't want you to open up your home for small groups and feed everybody. No, you can come to my house. Come to my house. I'll serve you. I'll cook for you. Actually, I won't cook for you. My wife will. But either way, I'll cook for you. We'll share a meal together. I'm not expecting you to do those things because we want to serve you. Because the church exists for people who are not yet its members, which means for those of you who are members, we got to make a commitment. Because every single week, God is sending new people to our church and the ones who worship, got to create space for the ones who are doubting. This is why the Great Commission is so important to us. Because This is what God has done, and this is what God always does, and this is the way that the church continues to grow. And so here's what I want to do. I want to give you an opportunity to learn more about who we are as a church, so that way you can begin to make this great commitment to this great commission. So let me, just four things, right? First thing is this, what is our vision? You have to know where you're going. You have to have a picture of the future. So what is the vision here at Redemption? Can anybody guess? It's on my shirt. Life changed through Jesus. That's, that's who we are. That's why we exist, because we want to help you experience life change through Jesus. In fact, here's the full statement. We exist to see a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child can experience life change through Jesus. That's what we're all about. Whenever you drove into the parking lot today, there was baptism banners on the side of the wall. Do you know what they said? Life changed through Jesus. When you walked into the lobby in big, bold, black letters, you know what it said? Life changed through Jesus. Okay, whenever you you came in and you wanted to figure out what service times were and you went on our website or you went to Instagram and you were like, hey, what's this church all about? And on the big banner, what does it say? Life changed through Jesus. When you go to the website, it says life changed through Jesus. On the card under your seat, it says life changed through Jesus. Right here on the screen, it says life changed through Jesus. Life changed through Jesus, because that's what we're all about here as a church. You want me to say it again? Life changed through Jesus. I'll say it one more time. Life changed through Jesus. I don't care. I'll just keep saying it. Life changed through Jesus. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's life changed through Jesus. One more time. Life changed through Jesus. There you go. That's why we exist. And that's actually what we see here in the the text. It says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In week two, we discussed that theme of discipleship. It means to follow Jesus. And there's a theological term that is used. It's called repentance. That all of your life, here's what you're doing. You are living in sin, you are running away from God, and you are living your life doing whatever you want with your face towards sin and your back towards the Lord. The word repentance literally means a change of direction. 
and that you're no longer following yourself or your ego or your will, but you make a change of direction and you begin to follow after the Lord. This is what the Puritans would call living quorum Deo, that is living in the face of God. It's no longer what I want, it's what God wants. It's no longer my will, it's the Lord's will, that I begin to live my life for him. And as you begin to live your life for him, here's what you discover is this. When you meet Jesus, everything in your life begins to change. When you meet Jesus, everything in your life begins to change because he makes us new. He gives us new hearts, new nature, new identity, new purpose, new passion. The old is gone, the new has come. Jesus says, behold, I make all things new. He transforms us by the image of his word. He transforms us, changes us, who we are, how we think, how we live, fundamentally flat out changes us. It's impossible to meet Jesus and stay the same. He will meet you right where you're at, but he loves you too much to leave you right there because he is going to change you. Jesus flat out changes lives. When you meet him, everything in your life begins to change. And I truly believe that everyone wants to experience this life change. You say, there's people in the world who don't want to experience. I, I disagree. I believe that every single person in the world wants to experience life change. The problem is, is they're looking for life change in all of the wrong places. They're looking at someone or something to bring them the change that only Jesus can. Let me just tell you, life change does not come from a politician. Life change only comes from Jesus. Life change doesn't come from a presidential debate or election. Life change only comes through Jesus. It doesn't matter if you're the left wing or the right wing. They're the same bird. Life change only comes from Jesus. Life change doesn't come from climate change. People get all freaked out about it, but life change only comes from Jesus. Life change doesn't come from riots or protests or defunding the police. Life change only comes from Jesus. Life change doesn't come from a vaccine or mask or no mask or whatever people are freaking out about today. Life change only comes comes from Jesus because here's what people think is that if they can change the external, they will change the internal, but that is a lie because the external has no eternal value. Only the internal can be changed by the eternal. Life change comes through Jesus. It doesn't matter what clothes you wear, it ain't going to change your life because you're going to be depressed tomorrow. Life change only comes from Jesus. It doesn't matter what, what, what house you live in, what car you drive, how much money you make, who you marry, who you divorce, who you date, how many kids you got. It don't matter because life change only comes from Jesus and people are looking for it everywhere, but we got it right here. And this is why we exist to help people because on your own, you're lost. That's the whole point of the message that Jesus sends us out to seek and to find and to help people experience the life change that only comes from him. That's our vision. Life change through? Jesus. You guys are so good. The second, the second point, I know it's good. I preached it. <laughs> the second thing is this. It's our values. Every family has values. Growing up, did you have values? Right? In my family, we have values. Right? If you were to take a look into the Ellis house and you were to, you were to say, what does the Ellis household value? Okay, here's what you would see in our life. We are very religious about family dinner. We eat family dinner every night at 5.30. On the clock, 5.30, we're sitting down eating family dinner. And Ashley, she always makes something super delicious and just with the illusion of healthy, and I love it. (laughs) 
And so we eat a nice home-cooked family dinner. My daughter eats chicken nuggets. <laughs> but we have a value of family dinner. Every Friday night, we go over to my grandparents' house and we watch a movie. So we do family movie night every Friday night. That's a, that's a value for us. Another one is we value prayer. We pray together as a church all the time, as a family all the time. We pray when we wake up, we do our devotionals, we pray over daughters before I go to work. When I come home, we pray over dinner, and then we tuck the girls in at night, we read a Bible story from our Jesus Storybook Bible, and then we say a prayer over our girls before they go to bed. We pray together. And so if you were to look at the Ellis House and you were to ask them, what is the Ellis House family values? Here's what you would say. Food, fun, faith. Praise the Lord, pass the garlic bread, amen? That's what we're all about. All right, that's what we're all about. Food, fun, and faith. Well, as a church, we're God's family. And that means that each church also has certain family values. Redemption has family values, and our values come straight from the Great Commission as well. So I'll go ahead and show you. Our first value is this, gospel-centered. Here's what Jesus says. All authority, how much authority? All authority has been given to me. All authority comes from and belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. That Abraham Kuyper, one of the great philosophers, he actually says this. He says, there's not one square inch of the universe in which God does not declare as his own. He is the Lord over heaven. He is the Lord over earth. He is the Lord of everything under the earth and everything in between. It is by him, to him, for him, through him, created by him, and everything belongs to him. All authority belongs to the Lord Jesus. And the shortest Description of faith in the Bible is this, Jesus is Lord. And so as a church, everything we do is based off of that statement, Jesus is Lord. When we make our decisions, how does this glorify Jesus? When we make our budget for the church, how is Jesus going to be magnified through the way that we manage his finances? Every decision, whether small group or serve team, whether it's doing a trunk or treat or a turkey day giveaway or having the kids sing on Christmas, everything that we do as a church is asking this question, how is this centered upon the gospel and going to help other people experience this life change? We do that as a church. And if you become a member of our church, guess what? That means you do it for your life as well. That you live gospel-centered lives. You're making a commitment that your life will be gospel-centered. So what does that look like? That looks like Jesus is Lord. When you survey your life, can you say Jesus is your Lord? So in your marriage, you may be the husband, you may be the wife, but Jesus is the Lord. Right? You may be the mom, you may be the dad, but guess what? Jesus is the Lord. You may be the one financing the mortgage, but Jesus is the one who owns that home because Jesus is the Lord. Whenever you go to work, you may be the employee, you may have a boss, but Jesus is your boss's boss because all authority belongs to him and Jesus is your Lord. On your bank accounts, it may have your name. You can have your name on your bank card, but that really has Jesus' name on that account because Jesus is Lord. He's Lord of our marriages, he's Lord of of our money. He's Lord of our finances. He's Lord of our parenting. He's Lord over our education. You may be going to college to get you a degree, but really you have a dean and you have a superintendent and you have a TA and a professor, but Jesus is Lord over all of those things. And so your education is actually a way in which you are to glorify him. Are you glorifying God with your life? Because Jesus is Lord. Are you living a gospel centered life? That's what we want for you. We want to help you live a life that is centered upon the gospel because all authority belongs to him, gospel-centered. The second one is um, 
is an authentic community. Here's what it says. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Spirit. Do you know what that is? That is the very first community. That God is a trinity. He existed in eternity past, Father, Son, Spirit, perfect relationship, harmony, love, and adoration within themselves. That is the very first community. God himself is a community. And then whenever he made us, he made us in his image and likeness to be able to share in the same values that he has. And one of God's values is community. And so one of our communities is that we would experience authentic community. So as a church, we try to put a high emphasis on you being involved in community community. And we do that through two ways here at Redemption. We do that by small groups and serve teams. So if you're going to become a member, we want you to be in a small group. And we also want you to be involved in a serve team so you can begin to experience the same thing that God has for you from the beginning of creation, this authentic community, because that's what we believe in. Now, if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. Here's why it's important for us. Alone, you can go fast, but together we can go far. Alone, you can go fast, but together we can go far. See, a lot of people, they don't think they need community because, well, they're going to be able to go faster without, they don't need anybody's help because they can do it on their own. Discipleship happens in relationship and alone, you can go fast. But if you've discovered this in COVID-19, I'm pretty sure the rest of us did as well, is that when it first happened, everybody's like, this is amazing. This is going to be so great. Church online, I'm fired up for this. This is going to be cool. All right, two weeks to flatten the curve. Let's do this. Church online, that's great. Yeah. Meet me in the comment section. Tag a friend. Share the post. Woo, look at that. And then what happened? You shared the post. You tagged the friends. And then two weeks to flatten the curve became six months. And what started off as being socially distant actually led many of us to become spiritually disconnected. That we became spiritually disconnected from one another. You can only do so many Zoom calls before you're just sick of it, right? You're like, you can only do so many Zoom prayer meetings, upper Zooms, whatever it is. Like, like that's, a, that's a charismatic joke. Acts chapter two, you can go read it by yourself. Charismatic, Acts chapter, upper Zoom. Okay, never mind. <laughs> That killed at the 9 a.m. <laughs> Until eventually you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. And then what happened is you stopped going to your upper Zoom meetings. You stopped answering the phone. You stopped replying to people's texts. You stopped watching the online services. You stopped sharing the posts. And then you became alone and depressed and more anxious and more isolated. And what started as social distancing led you to become spiritually disconnected. You know why? Because you tried to go fast, but you went on your own and you burned out and you flamed out. You got tired. You gave in to temptations and you found yourself in a place where you're weak. See, alone you can go fast, maybe two weeks, maybe two months, but together we can go far. When we're together, we can go further. You know, one of the things that research is actually showing is that probably one of the biggest effects of COVID-19 will not be on people's bodies. It will not be on people's minds, but actually it will be on people's souls. See, that's one of the things that happens. See, doctors know what to do with people's bodies. Psychiatrists, counselors know what to do with people's minds, but nobody knows what to do with a person's soul. 
The church is the only hospital for your soul. The church is the only place that can meet those inner needs of your soul. The reason why drug addiction is going up and relapse are happening is not just because people are drug addicts, it's because their souls are hurting and they're trying to numb some deeper pain that's in there. And we could treat the mind and we could treat the body, but only the deliverance that comes from Jesus can actually heal that soul. The reason why marriages and struggles and things are happening isn't because they have conflict, it's because they have sin and they don't know how to deal with sin. Jesus is the only one who knows how to deal with sin. You gotta get in the church if you wanna get rid of that sin, if you wanna figure that out. And so what happens is drug addiction goes up, depression, anxiety, divorce continues. Children at home with parents who are at each other's throats and many times they're the ones who are suffering at the hands of parents who can't control themselves. And we have this epidemic of suicide that is becoming so prevalent in the world today because we have, we have tried to treat the body, we have tried to treat the mind, but we have shut down the church. And people don't know how to deal with the soul. And so you've been going alone, you've been trying it alone, you've been working it alone, and you've been going alone. And this is why you're here today, is because you've discovered that you can only go so far alone, but together, together we can go far. Research shows that one out of three Christians have stopped attending church altogether since COVID-19. Whether online or in person, just stop going. The average church attendance now is one out of every five weeks. That means the most average of you will attend church less than 12 times a year. And then what they also show is that no matter how excited you are when you come to church or even how miraculous your conversion is, if you don't get involved in a serve team or in a small group, you will no longer be in church within six months. And you know how long COVID-19's been? Six months. Do you think that maybe we're starting to see a trend here? Because there's been a lot of people who have tried to do it on their own, try to go it on their own. And they thought that I can make it for a while. I don't need anybody else. I can do this on my own. And what you discovered is that on alone, you went fast for about two, three weeks. And then the wheels fell off. But together, we can go far. Together, we can experience this life change that keeps us growing and moving and accomplishing everything that God has for us. Alone, we can go fast, but together we go far. The core value number three we have is this, expositional preaching, okay? Big fancy college word. Turn to your neighbor and say expositional. expositional. Turn to your other neighbor and say preaching. preaching. Expositional preaching. I spent $30,000 in college to learn that word, and you got it for free. There you go. Don't say I never did anything for you. You say, what is that? Here's what Jesus says. Jesus says this. He says, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded of you. That is our core value of expositional preaching. That's the way that we teach the Bible here that we just open up the Bible and say whatever it is that the Bible says. It's a crazy idea, I know, but it seems to be working. That we just preach the Bible. I know, it's insane, but it just, it just I don't know, it just works that way. I don't know, we just say whatever the Bible says. It's called expositional preaching, and it's one of the more popular core values that we have as a church. Whenever we, our small groups are meeting, we actually, if you look on the back of your sermon notes, it actually has the discussion question. So you take that from the verse that we're teaching today, and then you bring that to your small group after some devotion and study, then you just talk about the Bible that we taught on Sunday. And so it all connects together. That's the expositional preaching. And one of the questions 
questions for our small groups was like, what is the most exciting thing that you like about redemption? And over and over again, people just say, I love that you just preach the Bible here, that you just open up the Bible and you just say whatever the Bible says. Because I've discovered that people really want to know what the Bible says. I mean, people today, they say, nobody cares about the Bible. Nobody believes the Bible. Nobody wants to hear what the Bible says. I don't, I don't think that's true. I think people really actually want to know what this book says, what it means, and how they can have some chance at applying it to their life. People just love that we open up and preach the Bible. Even my non-Christian friends who come to the church, they're like, hey, you know what? I disagree with everything you said, but I'm really glad that I understand the Bible a little bit better because you just preach God's word. And here's what we discovered. God's word brings the growth. We started a book of the Bible called Mark over two years ago. Two years ago, and we were starting that book. I was like, we're gonna spend two years preaching one book of the Bible. And they were like, you can't do that. Your church's not gonna grow. Nobody's gonna come. You're gonna bore people. And all my other buddies and coaches are like, you can't just preach two years through one book of the Bible. And I said, bet. <laughs> and so we started that in 2018 with a church of 80 people. Today we have over 300 people and we're still in the book of Mark. So when we finish this series, we're going to dive back into Mark, and we're going to finish Mark in about 20 weeks, okay? We're going to finish Mark, I promise, and then after we finish Mark, guess what? We're just going to pick another book of the Bible, and so I believe that we're going to be doing the book of Joshua, and so we're going to study the book of Joshua, and y'all can pray for me because I think we're going to do either First and Second Peter or First, Second, and Third John following that, but either way, as long as I'm your pastor, the Bible will be open, and we're just going to be preaching straight through books of this Bible. That's expositional preaching, because here's what Jesus says. He says, to teach them to obey all that I've commanded, all, not just the parts that we like. Not just the parts that we agree with or we could draw a big crowd. He says, preach all of the things that I've commanded. This is a big book, right? We're not limited to the four Sunday school stories that you learned when you were a child. You know, we have a lot more in here that we could cover, right? There's more than just the daily devotional memorization Bible verses that we can talk about. There's more than Philippians 4.13 and Jeremiah 29.11 and Matthew 28. We have a lot of ground to cover if we want to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And expositional preaching is the way that we do it. And here's what's so cool about it, is the goal of the church is not just to make disciples, but to mature them as well. Yeah. That we don't want to just make disciples and say, oh, you're saved now? Wow, that's great. Let's go help some other people get saved and we're going to forget about you. That's not what we want to do. We want to not only make disciples, but we also want to mature disciples as well. And expositional preaching gives us the ability to do both, to both make disciples and to mature disciples. This is what some people call double barrel preaching, right? For those of you who have like a shotgun, right? Two barrels. And whenever I preach, I have two targets. I want to preach to make disciples. That's why if you're a new Christian, non-believer, you come in here, I want it to be simple. I want it to be relevant. I want it to be loud. So that way you can understand what I'm saying and you can apply it to your life in some way. I want it to be clear. I want it to be relevant and a little bit funny. I think I'm funnier than y'all think I am. But either way, I try to do that for you guys because I want to make disciples. I hope you give your life to Jesus today. I hope you know how much he loves you and how much he has grace for you, how he can make you a new person. I hope you get baptized today and you say, but I didn't sign up for baptism. I know you didn't, but the Holy Spirit told us you were going to get saved today and we got a shirt for you. He knew that if you were going to come, then you were going to run away from him like you've been doing for the last 10 years. So he tricked you to get you here so you could give your life to Jesus today. And we got a towel and we got a shirt just for you. So no excuses, get baptized, give your life to Jesus. Make disciples. 
But on the other hand, my grandmother goes to this church. And she's been following Jesus for 60 years. She's been speaking in tongues longer than I've been alive. And so what I have to preach in a way to where she can grow and be encouraged and she can mature as a disciple as well. We have to do both. We can't just leave the cookies on the bottom shelf. No, we have to inspire, encourage, and we have to motivate people to mature into who God has created them to be. And this is why expositional preaching does that, because it makes disciples and it teaches them to obey everything that I have commanded for you. It matures them as well, which leads us to our fourth point. The fourth core value that we have is spirit-filled. And I believe that this is the one that ties everything together. The spirit-filled life. Here's what he says. And I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Jesus tells 11 men on the side of a mountain 2,000 years ago in Galilee, go tell the nations, go tell the world, go and do everything that I have commanded you. And you know what they're probably thinking? I've never even left my hometown. They haven't invented cars yet, Jesus. We can't fly there. How are we going to go tell the nations? We've been spending three years following a homeless man. We don't have any money. How are we going to go tell the nations? Now, you and me, if they're like, hey, go to the nations, you're like, that's going to be a little tough, but we can do it. Maybe I could FaceTime them. Maybe we could send them an email. Maybe we could, you know, Skype them or something. We could get a little bit of money and take a plane trip. I mean, it's eight, it's eight hours to Seattle, so maybe it's 18 hours to Japan. We could go to all nations today, but in those days, they didn't have trains or cars or any of those things to be able to go to the nations. And Jesus says, hey, I want you to go to the nations. And you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do that. See, if the disciples tried to do everything on their own, they would have failed. If you try to do everything on your own, guess what you're going to do? Fail. Do you know why? Because you are not empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit-filled life that makes all of this possible. Because if you go out and try to be gospel-centered without the Holy Spirit, that's nothing more than man-made religion. That's nothing more than you're trying to earn God's favor. And you know what? Every time you do that, you will fail. If you want to live a gospel-centered life, you need to have the Spirit of God working in you and through you to be able to accomplish a gospel-centered life. It's the Spirit that empowers you. How do they go tell the nations? Because Jesus was with them through the Spirit, through the whole thing. If you want to be gospel-centered, you got to be Spirit-filled. If you want to be authentic in community, you know what you need? The Holy Spirit. Because if you ain't got the Holy Ghost, you're probably going to prison because you're going to kill somebody. Have you ever been in church for a while? People drive you crazy. But when you want to kill them, remember Jesus died for them first. You got to be spirit filled. The fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And if you're going to be in a small group, you better have some self-control. And that only comes from the spirit. If you want authentic community, it's about being spirit-filled and expositional preaching. That's a spirit-filled unction that the Holy Spirit works through us because God's spirit wrote the word. God's spirit inspired the word. God's spirit carried men along as they wrote it. That it's spirit breathe every single word of God comes from the spirit and it's God's spirit that opens our eyes opens our hearts and opens our lives so we can receive the word of God it's all about being spirit filled spirit filled doesn't mean the crazy lady with the tambourine 
That's the church I grew up in. That's what it meant to be spirit-filled. You got to speak in tongues and you have to have a little ribbon. And if you do that, that's how the spirit-filled people are. Or you turn to channel 18 and then you see the guy with the big jet and the suit and his wife looks like she lost a paintball war and you're like, that's spirit-filled man, isn't it? No, that's not spirit-filled man. Spirit-filled person is the one who is living on mission, committed themselves to fulfilling the Great Commission. That's what it means to be spirit-filled because Jesus is with us always, even until the end of the age. He is with you. And if you want to be committed to the Great Commission, you got to be filled with the Holy Spirit, which leads us to the third question is this. What is our mission? Every single year, I get up here and I say the exact same thing. This year is no different. I know 2020 has been the longest decade of your life, but this year is no different. I stand up here every single year and I say, our mission this year, redemption, are you ready? Is for every single person to lead one person to Jesus. Every single year, 95% of Christians will never get the chance to lead one person to Christ. If this is the great commission, 95% of us are failing. Because you'll never get the opportunity, the privilege to stand in that water and baptize one person. 95% of believers are not going to get that opportunity. But guess what? We ain't no statistic here at Redemption, right? Every single one of us, we're going to get our one this year, aren't we? Because everyone has a one. Here's actually what we say. Look under your seat right now. Boom. Here's your one. Everyone gets a one. Everyone has a one. How many of you know one person? How many of you know one person who does not know Jesus? That's one too many. Seriously, it's one too many. He says all nations, that's everybody. And until the whole world hears, we got work to do. We have work to do. If you know one person who does not yet know and love Jesus, then you're not finished then you still got to reach one. Maybe you reached your one last year. Guess what? It's a new year. You got a new one. Go reach your one. We're on mission together. We want to reach more people. Do you know how Jesus changes the world? How many of you are praying Jesus changed the world? Right? You turn on the channel, you're like, Jesus changed the world or set it on fire. <laughs> how many of you, that's your prayer? I want you to know something. Jesus does not change the world. Now, before you stole me as a heretic, let me explain something to you. Jesus came and he revealed himself in the kingdom of God for three years while he walked the earth. If he wanted to change the world, he would have done it then. Yeah. If he wanted to change the world, here's what he would have done. He would have came down and said, I am God, worship me. But that's not what he did. He came as a baby, an infant, tender and mild, humble. If Jesus wanted to change the world, he would have overthrown Rome. He would have uprooted the religious institution system. And he would have said, here's my crown. Here's my throne. Everybody come worship me. He could have done that, but that's not what he did. You know what Jesus did instead? He spent three years hanging out with people. Here's the reason why. Because Jesus doesn't change the world. Jesus changes people. And it's people who are changed by Jesus, like the 11 disciples who go out and they begin to change the world. That's you. That's me. That's us. 
That's the commitment to the great commission. That's the community that we are. We are a community that reaches the one. And I believe that every single one of you has a one. There is a person in your life that you are praying for, that you are believing for, that God has put you in their life. He has given you influence in their life. He has strategically placed you and you know who they are as I'm beginning talking to you because I feel faith arising in our congregation right now that God has a plan for them too. And if he does it for you, he wants to do it for them. And you have a one, you have a commission. You are being sent by God to be able to see their life begin to change as well. Everybody has a one. And today at Baptism Sunday, we're going to get to see the people in our church get their one. Because we have over 20 people who have signed up for baptism today. And they're not the only person in the tank. There's always somebody else in the tank with them. And I don't do the baptizing here. We let you baptize your friends. When you lead them to faith, you get in that water and you get the privilege to baptize them because everybody has a one and we want you to get your one. We don't want you to be a statistic. We want to be a community where we commit ourselves to fulfilling the Great Commission. That's you and that's me. And I'm excited to tell you, Redemption, today I got my one. I got my one, my mom. I got to baptize my mom. It's been such great healing. First time in 35 years I've seen her sober. Whenever I was born, she had me when she was 14. And the church wouldn't dedicate me. And she ran away from God. Church thought, well, I was born in sin, and so they didn't want anything to do with dedicating me as a child. And so she ran away from the Lord. She spent the last 35 years addicted to drugs and alcohol, in and out of prisons and rehabs and abusive relationships. Six months ago, she came home. And God's beginning to do healing in my family. And now a little boy who was not allowed to be dedicated at a church is now a pastor who gets to baptize his mom in his church. Don't tell me life change ain't possible. And I know that you have a one too. I know there is someone in your life that God has placed you there so that way you can make a difference in their life as well. Everyone has a one. Who's your one? So here's what I want to do as we close. I want to give you some next steps. If you're here today and you, you think, I want to be a part of this church, we want you to be a part of this church too. Amen. We want you to belong not just believe. We don't want you to be a casual Christian, a backseat believer. We don't want you to be an isolated saint or a holy hermit. No, we want you to be committed to the Great Commission and to be in community with us. And so we always have next steps. Jesus says, go. That's the word for you. Go. Take a next step. Go on. Try it. Go on. Do something. Go, therefore. Go. Do something. Go. Get up out of your seat. Go. Make the next step. You never run out of next steps when you're following Jesus. And so it's time for us to go. 
Now, some of you, your next step is this, is being baptized today. Now, you want to give your life to Jesus? You want to make that commitment? You were the doubter at the beginning of the sermon, but now you are ready to worship because we make space. We exist for you, for this moment, for your life, for you to get in that tank today and be baptized. If you're a Christian, you have not been baptized, you're disobedient to the Great Commission. I don't know how else to tell you any other way. If you are a Christian and you have not yet been baptized, you are disobedient to God's plan for your life. The last words of Jesus, and I'm laying it on pretty thick. Yes, I know, because last words are important words. And if you're here and you're a Christian, you have not been baptized, you are disobedient to the will of God in your life. Get in the tank today and we will throw a party for you. I promise. You say, but I don't have a shirt. I got a shirt. You say, but I don't have a towel. I got a towel. You say, but I want my family here. We have a photographer. She'll take pictures. <laughs> there comes a point to where obedience is more important than having a family reunion. There's, there comes a point where it's just simply being that obedient to taking that next step. And if you're here today and you feel the Lord beginning to work in your life, and you're moving from the doubter to the worshiper. Hey, we're here for you to see the great commission fulfilled in your life as well. God brought you here on purpose today. You are not an accident. You are not here by chance. God has a purpose, a plan, and a reason. We love you. We welcome you. We want you to give your life to Jesus today. And so if that's you, in a moment, I'm going to dismiss you to go get baptized. If you're here today and you're in that middle ground, you're like, I kind of like you, but I'd like to go on a few more dates before I make a commitment. I get it. I understand. I get it. I had to say the same thing to Ashley. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. Next week, me and Ashley, we want to feed you. We're going to invite you to Next Steps. And at Next Steps, we have a dinner. And it's right after church. We're going to feed you. We're going to watch your kids, which is amazing. I mean, if we're going to feed you and watch your kids, why wouldn't you come? Okay, those are like the two most important things in this world. It's Jesus, feed me, and somebody watch these kids. Like, that's it. <laughs> so we're going to do those things for you. And we want you to come next steps just so me and Ashley can get to know you a little bit better. But if you are here and you have not yet become a member, what are you waiting for? Jesus says, go, therefore, and make disciples. If you're here and you're been coming to church for a while and you're not a member, you're not plugged in, you're not serving, you're not giving, Guys, you're missing your opportunity. You're missing your chance to be a part of something that is the biggest thing in the world, being a part of the local church. And so if Jesus is this committed to us, shouldn't we show that much more commitment to him? This is what it means to be a church member, that we are committing ourselves to being a community that accomplishes the Great Commission. That's what we want to see for you. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.